perfect storm is not perfect in the sense of ideal, but perfect in the sense of combining factors. All the elements such as hurricane force winds plus a cold front plus a downpour of rain work to create an insurmountable disaster. The winds alone would be a challenge, but let alone the rain and the cold temperatures, and it all comes together to form a recipe for disaster. Some have described the times we live in right now as a perfect storm. We are experiencing the coronavirus, which is reminiscent of the Spanish flu of 1918, the recession, which is reminiscent of the depression of 1929-1930, and the protests, which are reminiscent of early 1960s, and all those come together, and it creates a perfect storm with many different factors. Each one alone would be a challenge, but you put them all together, and it kind of creates this perfect storm in our life. We experience these perfect storms. We have the pandemic plus a recession, a disaster plus a job transfer, a relationship breakup plus a job rejection. And so these perfect storms can come in many ways at various times in our lives. We've been walking through Philippians chapter 4 where Paul is giving us some instruction to help us remain calm. We celebrate God's goodness. That's his sovereignty and his mercy and his presence with us. We ask him for help through prayer and petition and we present our request to God. We leave our concerns with him. Last week, you looked at the idea of with thanksgiving that sprinkled throughout our prayers and petitions should be this idea that we are thanking God and we are grateful to God for the things that he has done for us, that the things we already have, instead of living if only, we look at our experiences today and the blessings we have today. And so thanksgiving and gratitude moves us from if only to already. That, Lord, you've already been good to us. Lord, you've already blessed us. Lord, I already have things that I can be grateful for, even in the midst of a perfect storm. We can handle one or two of these things at a time, but when those forces come together, we have that thought, will I survive? And so Paul's answer is very profound and it's concise. Philippians 4, 7, he says this, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we do our part, we rejoice in the Lord. We have this contagious calm, this gentleness that's evident to all. We pray about everything. We have gratitude. God does his part, and here's what God does. He gives us his peace. It's not peace from God, but the Father gives us the very peace of God, that we can participate in the very peace that God has and the very uh, stability that comes from experiencing that peace. The tranquility of God is transferred to our world. Do you need some peace? Do you just need a, a, a moment out of the storms of life that we are experiencing to understand and experience the peace of God? Well, what happens then, it results in this inexplicable calm. Paul says it transcends all understanding. We don't really know it. Uh, we can't uh, diagram it. We can't figure it out uh, logically. But here's what we do know. When we believe and trust God's word, when we do the things that God says that we are to do, he does his part. And I don't have to understand it. I just look at the fruit of what has happened and it's very evident in my life. We should be worried, but we are calm. I can't explain it, but there's this calm that comes. I should be anxious, but I'm at peace. I can't explain it. It's beyond my understanding. But I do know when I trust the Lord and I pray and I'm grateful and I rely on him, that that uh, trickles down and filters into my life. His peace transcends all logic and intellect. It's not a human achievement. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 14. Peace I leave you, 
My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace that Jesus gives us is the antidote to our fear and our troubled hearts. The heart is the center of who we are, the, the core of our being. And in these perfect storms of life, the fear and anxiety can seep down into the very essence of who we are. Jesus gives us his peace. If you recall what the peace of Jesus looked like, he remained calm in his heart when he was being falsely accused. He had a steadied peace as he spoke to Pilate, the one who could execute him on the cross. He had a peace that kept his thoughts clear while he hung on the cross. So he was still able to articulate the will of God. He was still able to minister to those around him. And this peace in that storm of the crucifixion was his, that he was able to be made calm and bear the cross. This is the peace that we can have because Jesus gives it. Remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7? It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God takes responsibility for the hearts and the minds of those who trust him. As we trust him, as we pray, he protects us and he guards our hearts and our minds. Our hearts and our minds are the totality of our being. Our minds are where we have those anxious thoughts. Our hearts are where we have those anxious feelings. And Paul reminds us that when we do our part, God does his part. Martin Luther wrote, many centuries later, after Paul wrote Philippians, he wrote, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. We are in a flood of mortal ills, a flood of things that have been brought on from our humanity and our sinfulness and our flesh. And God is that bulwark, that fortress, that, that place that we can go that will not be overpowered by the storms of life. When Paul wrote Anxious for Nothing, he had recently endured a physical storm on the Mediterranean Sea. On his final recorded voyage, he was going from Caesarea to Italy. And they enjoyed smooth sailing until they reached Sidon. And the next stop, the Bible tells us in Acts, at Myra, they changed vessels. And they were loaded onto a large Egyptian grain ship. The Egyptian ships were about 100 feet long and weighed about 1,000 tons. They were sturdy, but they didn't do well in the wind. They sailed south with great difficulty around Crete until they reached the port of Fair Havens about halfway across the island of Crete. They sailed south with this wind that was starting to be against them. The sailors didn't want to stay there. They knew they, could reach, they couldn't reach Rome before the winter came, and so they preferred the port of Phoenix. But Paul tried to convince them otherwise. He was uh, no stranger to shipwrecks and storms at sea. In fact, one ancient volume describes the dangers of sailing at this time of the year as scant daylight, long nights, dense cloud cover, poor visibility, and the double raging of winds, showers, and snows. This sailing season where Paul found himself and this crew was a perfect storm of wind, snow, and rain. He knew the danger of a winter voyage, and so he issued this strong caution. But to the captain of the ship, Paul was just a preacher, and he needed to mind his own business. It's like someone who has no experience in your field of expertise or in your job comes and gives you suggestions on how to do your job. It doesn't go over very well, and it didn't go over very well with the captain either. And so they set sail, 
And before long, the nor'easter came down and it swept down from the island. The sailors searched for land, but they couldn't find it. And so this perfect storm was coming together, a winter sea, a ferocious wind, this cumbersome boat, and this impatient crew. Now, individually, each of these items were frightening in and of themselves, but when you bring them together, it's the perfect storm. So the crew did what they did. The book of Acts tells us they hauled up the lifeboat, they lowered the sea anchor, they threw the cargo overboard, they threw the ship tackle overboard, but nothing worked. And in Acts chapter 27, verse 20, we read this. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up hope, all hope of being saved. Doesn't that describe our life right now? Maybe that describes your life right now. You've given up all hope of getting out of whatever situation you find yourself in. And all we can see is the darkness of the days. The sun has been hidden. The storm is raging. And that's where Paul was. The perfect storm took its toll. In fact, in Acts 27, verse 27, we read that it lasted for 14 days. 14 hours is tough. Four days is tough. A week is tough. But here were these sailors and Paul in this storm for a full two weeks. No sun, a raging sea. The sailors had lost all hope. And then finally, Paul spoke up. And here's what he said. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. The sailors who knew how to sail, gave up hope. But here's Paul, the preacher, and he spoke some courage to them. I would like to speak some courage to you today to not give up hope. No matter what the storms are raging, no matter what that perfect storm is, those factors that are combining in your life, what did Paul know that they didn't know? What did Paul say that we also need to hear? We've done all we can to survive. We've lowered the anchor, we've called the bank, we've changed our diet, we've called the lawyers, we've gone to counseling, we've gone to rehab, we've gone to therapy, we've talked to our friends and our family, and nothing has worked. The sea is still churning. Paul says this in Acts 27, verse 23, Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Let's unpack that just for a minute. Because this is really where Paul got his hope. And I think these are some hopes that we can find, have some things in our boat as we are on these storms of life. And the first thing that we have in our boat is some advice. Now, if you remember, Paul, the preacher, went to the captain and tried to advise him on how to get through this storm, but the captain would have none of it. What happened? The captain did not heed Paul's advice. We have some advice and we need to heed it. We don't like to be corrected, but when we hear God's warning, we need to heed it, and a scolding is in order, and God has, has warned us and given us advice over and over through his word, through the message of Jesus, through the writings of the apostles, the prophets, all the, the instruction that we have in the, in the scripture. The first thing that we have to understand is, are we anxious because we didn't listen to God? God said sex outside of marriage would be chaos, but we didn't listen. 
He told us that the borrower is a slave to the lender, but we maxed our credit cards to the limit and now we are anxious. He told us to cherish our families and our children, but our careers became our idols and it took over and now we have lost our families. We didn't heed his advice. He cautioned you about the wrong crowd, but we didn't listen. So the first thing we do in the storm of life, the thing that's in our boat, is God's word. And the storms of life are great opportunities. And this is a very biblical practice. Uh, even through the Old Testament, when God was warning his people, that uh, the people that responded in an appropriate way is they looked within, they confessed their sins, and they repented. And so we have this advice from the, from the Lord. And so in these anxious moments of these perfect storms, we have to de decipher, is this storm one of my doing, or is it something that I can't control that was outside of my life? Many of the storms that we're facing today are things that are external to us. But if we're honest, some of the storms in life come because of the drama that we create from our sinfulness. So Paul and the writers of the, of the Bible have given us some advice. So the first thing we have in our boat is advice or the word of the Lord. It's more than just advice. It's, a, it's instruction. It's commands. It's, it's when we obey them that we walk closer to the Lord and there's a blessing and a fruitfulness in that. And so Paul said, you should have taken my advice. The second thing that we have in our boat that will help us get through these storms of life is we have helpers. In verse 23, Paul said this, Last night, an angel of the God to whom I, uh, whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Who came to help Paul in the boat? There was an angel. In the raging storm, Paul received visitors from heaven. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, the writer of Hebrews says this, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The prophet Daniel in the Old Testament experience the help of these heavenly messengers. In Daniel chapter 10, we read this. Do not be afraid, Daniel, talking, the angel's talking to Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. You see what happened? The moment Daniel began to pray, the answer was issued. It says, since you, the first day that you humbled yourself before God, your words were heard, and then God sent these heavenly messengers. Your prayers are being heard, and God is working, and God is helping in those moments. If you think that God isn't listening, he reminded Daniel, since the first day. You see, since the first day we pray and keep praying, God is moving. God's time isn't our time, which is very frustrating. But we have this hope and this assurance that in the storms of life, since the first day we started to pray, God is hearing and he is working. In fact, Psalm 91 verse 11 says this, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. When we pray and when we trust and when we're in these storms of life, we have at, uh, uh, at our disposal these heavenly helpers, help from heaven itself, that God is working and God is intervening. The second thing Paul, or the third thing Paul reminds us is that we have a place in heaven. In our storms, in that 
place, we also belong to another place. Paul says we are citizens of a, of a, of a heavenly kingdom. In Acts 27, verse 23, Paul says this, Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. He says, the God to whom I belong. When you sign your kids up for sports, you go and you fill out the registration form, and then you have to sign. And if you read all the details, part of all the details is the people who are running the sports, whether it's a camp or school or wherever it is, they want to know who's going to be responsible if something happens to your child. If they get a broken arm or they suffer a concussion or, or just trip and fall, they want to know who is responsible, who's going to take them to the doctor, who's ultimately going to pay the bill. And so we sign our names and say, yes, my child is, is allowed to play and I will take responsibility for them. Did you know God has signed his name for you? That when you gave your life to Christ, God took responsibility for you. We are his sheep, and he is our shepherd. In fact, in John 10, 14, Jesus reminds us, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. You are the bride, he is the bridegroom. You are his child, he is your heavenly father. You can have peace in the storm because you know you are not alone. You belong to God. And so in the midst of that storm, not only do we have a, a place in heaven, but we have this peace in the storm because we know that God is with us. We are his, and he is mine, and I'm trusting in him. And so in that storm, in that place where you find yourself on the, on the waves of life, remember that you also have a heavenly place. Paul also reminds us in verse 23 that we have a higher purpose. He says, last night, an angel of the God, heavenly helpers, to whom I belong, he had a place in heaven, and whom I serve. Paul had been given an assignment by God. He was supposed to carry the gospel to Rome. If you remember in Acts, the scripture that we read, uh, the, the angel came and told Paul that you will not die because you are going to go to Rome. God has a plan for you. Paul had not yet arrived in Rome, and so God was not yet finished with him. If God has given you a job to do, you will do it. Your quantity of days won't change, but the quality may. It doesn't mean your problems will go away. But in verse 22, he says, I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Paul told the sailors to be encouraged because they would not be lost, but the ship would be destroyed. It's not easy to lose your ship. What is the ship? It's the vessel that contains and sustains and protects and supports you. And we all have various ships in life that we look for the support in life. Maybe it's our, our marriage. Maybe it's, it's the health of our bodies. Maybe it's our, it's our businesses. Maybe it's our relationships. Whatever it is, it could be our money, that, that ship that we're in that, that bobs up and down. And, and we look to that for our support. And when we lose the ship, we feel like we are drowning. We feel like we are going down. You see, the ship is what keeps us afloat. And without your boat, you will sink. And we do for a while. The waves overtake us and fear will overtake us. But Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus said that in me, you will have what? There's that word again, peace. When I'm in my boat, I have peace, whatever that boat is. But boats are temporary. And if my peace is resting on that boat, it will come and go as the storms come and go, and it will only be intact as my boat is intact. But here's what Jesus said, in me, you will have peace. You see, Jesus is the boat that will never break. He is the boat that will never sink. We can lose it all only to discover that we really haven't lost it all. We still have Jesus. God has been there all along. God has never promised a life of no storms, but he did promise that we wouldn't have to face them alone. There's a story in the Old Testament about this help in the storm. It's a lesson from Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat became king at the age of 35, and he reigned 25 years. The Moabites formed an army and were marching against him. In fact, they had more allies come and join this army. So it wasn't just one army, but it was multiple armies that were marching against Jehoshaphat. It was the perfect storm. He maybe could have handled one army, but when you combine all these armies together, it created an overwhelming force and an overwhelming storm that was coming down upon Jehoshaphat in the kingdom. But we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 some things that he did. And in verse 3, here's what he does. He inquired of the Lord. And then in verse 3, he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. The people all came together in verse 4 to seek help from the Lord. And then he cried out in prayer. And here's what he said in verse 12. We have no power. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Second Chronicles 20 verse 12 is a perfect prayer for this time that we are experiencing. We have no power we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And so God sent Jehaziel, and he said to Jehoshaphat this, This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. I don't know what to do. I have no power. I can't change situations that are out of my control. And Jehoshaphat understood that. He saw this storm raging and the storm coming on the horizon, and he cried out to the Lord. He said, we don't know what to do, but Lord, you know what to do. And so Jehoshaphat so trusted the Lord that he went into battle, and he didn't put the mighty men in the front. He didn't put the, put the warriors in the front. The Bible says he put the singers in the front. He put the worship team in the front. Why? The battle was a spiritual one. God had just promised him the battle was not his, but it was the Lord's. And so by the time they reached the battlefield, the enemies had turned on each other. They had killed each other, and the Israelites didn't even have to raise a sword. That was Jehoshaphat's trust in the Lord. He saw this perfect storm of these great armies. He knew he was... He was outnumbered and he was powerless to defeat them. 
and he trusted in the Lord, and he sought the Lord, and by the time they got there, the Lord had taken care of it all, and they didn't have to fight it all. We go first to God, but then we confess our fears, then we gather with his people, and then we cry out for help. There's nothing wrong with saying, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. I have no power to do this. There's a story about Noah Drew. He has only he was only two years old when he discovered the protective presence of Jesus. The Drew family is making a short drive from their house to their neighborhood pool. Leanna, the mom, was driving so slowly that the automatic door locks did not engage. Noah opened his door and fell out. She fell the bump, as if she had driven over a speed bump and braked to a quick stop. Her husband, Ben, jumped out of the car and found Noah on the pavement. He's alive! Ben shouted, and they placed him in the seat. Noah's legs were covered with blood, and he was shaking violently. Leanna hurried over to the passenger seat and held Noah on her lap as Ben drove to the ER. Incredibly, the test showed no broken bones. A 5,000-pound vehicle had run over his legs, yet little Noah had nothing but cuts and bruises to show for it. Later that night, Leanna dropped to her knees and thanked Jesus for sparing her son. She then stretched out on the bed next to him. He was asleep. At, last she, at least she thought he was. As she was lying beside him in the dark, he said, Mama, Jesus catched me. She said he did. Noah replied, I told Jesus thank you, and he said you're very welcome. The next day he gave some details. Mama, Jesus has brown hands, and he catched me like this, and he held out his arms, cupping his little hands. The next day he told her that Jesus had brown hair. When she asked him for more information, he said, that's all, in a very nonchalant manner. But when he said his prayers that night, he said, thank you, Jesus, for catching me. Oh, to have the faith and trust of a little child, to say, Jesus, in the storms of life, thank you that you catched me. Thank you that you are holding me. Thank you that I have this place in heaven and I have these heavenly helpers and I have your word to guide me and that I can trust you and I can give my, uh, my life to you in the midst of the storms of life and you will catch me. The storms will come but we still can have perfect peace. It's interesting, in the, throughout the Gospels, Jesus confronts storms. And it shows that he truly is God in the flesh because God has the power over creation. God has the power over nature. But it's interesting that he chooses to deal with storms because it was in those moments that the disciples were afraid and they were fearful. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41, we read this. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. This, the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this? This is Jesus, the calmer of the seas. I can't calm the storm, but he can. And the question that the disciples asked Jesus is one that if we're honest, we ask him sometimes, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm in this storm and I feel like I'm going to drown and the boat's going to go down? 
And Jesus comes to us and he reminds us that he is in the boat with us. You see, we have some things in our boat. We have the word of God. We have heavenly helpers that are helping us. We have all of those things. But more important than a what is a who. We have a who in our boat and the who is Jesus. Paul promised that a, a, a peace that we can't understand would guard our hearts and our minds. And here's the thing that Jesus can do. When Jesus takes up residence in us, he can calm the storm within us, even though there is a storm raging without. You see, we want the storm without to go away, and the problem is the storm without can go away, but we are still in turmoil inside. But if we have that trust in Jesus, the storm inside can die down while the storm outside rages. And that's where we can find peace. We don't have a sense of peace when only the externals are changed. We truly have a peace when the internals are changed. And that's why Paul said it was a peace that would what? Guard your hearts and your minds. That internal part of us, that, that, that part of us uh, of who we are inside where God does his greatest work. There's a verse in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 2. And it says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Isaiah said this, he said, when you pass through the waters and when you pass through the rivers, he didn't say if you happen to pass through the waters and if you happen to pass through the rivers. What he said was when you do this, it's not if, but it's when. These perfect storms come in, in life, and they are so inexplicable. Sometimes we don't know why and what's going on, and everybody's got their theories of why, but we truly don't understand them sometimes. And the other side of that is, we don't understand the peace that God can give either. You see, we're not called to figure God out, and we're not called to understand God. We are just called to trust Him. In fact, in the boat, when Jesus was talking to the disciples, he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, faith is that trust that God will catch me in the storms of life. And faith is the antidote to our fear in the midst of the storms. That even if the boat sinks, that God has me. I'm his, I'm his child. And I have these heavenly benefits because of my place in heaven. Are you in this perfect storm right now? It seems like we all are in different ways. And this perfect storm of things that are happening in our world can also be combined with storms that are happening in your life personally. Not only are we dealing with all that's going on, but you may be dealing with health issues yourself. You may be dealing with relationship difficulties. You may be dealing with addictions or sinful behaviors in the midst of all this other stuff that goes on. And so it's not just one thing, but sometimes it's multiple things together. And the answer to the perfect storm is a perfect Savior. A Savior who will guide us and guard us and protect us, who will hold us, who when we trust in Him and realize He's been in the boat the whole time, and he does care. 
And when we trust him and when we pray, when we seek him like Jehoshaphat did, when our eyes are upon him, we say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but you do. When we trust him, that's exercising our faith. And the storm inside can calm. The storm inside can settle. And we can have this peace that passes understanding. Don't try to figure it out. Don't wait to figure it out before you trust. You trust the peace will come and you won't have to figure it out because it's beyond understanding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the peace that comes when we trust Jesus. And Father, in these storms of life, in these difficult moments when we are being tossed back and forth through many things, Lord, we need you more than ever. And we thank you for the promise that we will have this peace that passes understanding, that will guard our minds and our hearts. And so, Father, would you give us that peace as we trust Jesus to know that he catched us, he will catch us when we fall. And as we go through the rivers and as we go through the waters, we don't have to fear because Jesus is in our boat. He is ours and we are his. We thank you for the promise of peace that comes through him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.